I've been looking forward to today for several weeks. Uh, my reason for this anticipation is because I knew I would be sharing life mission statements that our teenagers came up with in youth group. In youth group, we discover why we are created. We're not created just to breathe and die. We're created for a purpose. God has a plan. In youth group, we discover that plan as God reveals it. Samuel Clemens said, The two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. Rockbrook Youth Group believes you matter to God. You have great value as his creation. You were created for a purpose. Parents have been using Rockbrook Youth Group to help raise godly children. We want to partner with you to help you raise godly children. I want to help. And I need you to get them there on Saturdays at 5 o'clock. Some teens are nervous about going to youth group because it's scary. You know, my son is shy. My daughter is introverted. Let me tell you a life lesson. Everybody is scared. Will I fit in? Will I be liked? Will I have a friend? Will I look okay? Will I be asked to do something? Just come to youth group and know everybody feels the same way. We're all thinking the same thing. That's normal. They feel the same way at school when they start. I mean, new grade, new teachers, new classmates, where do I go? You don't let them opt out of school. It is scary. That's why we do youth group in a comfortable way. We don't sit in rows in youth group. We sit at tables. And nobody sits alone. Our tables become teams for our games. Even if it's your first time, you can participate or you can just sit back and enjoy because you're part of a team. You belong. It's comfortable. It's safe. We have a process for teenagers to help them spend time with God, help each other, remember Bible verses, serve in the church, give back to God, learn how to study the Bible. The teens go through the life development class at Rockbrook. The teens go through the same process that the adults go through. Our goal is to give them the tools that they need to keep developing their faith, even after they've left youth ministry. People always want to know, how do you get a respectful teenager? How do you get a teenager who will grow up into a godly adult? How do you deal with drugs and porn and peer pressure and social media? How does my teen find healthy friendships? These life purpose statements are amazing. This is God at work. How do you get a teenager to realize they are created by God, that they are created for a purpose? Teenagers hear and see programs and service projects and mission trips and small groups. They hear that stuff all the time. I don't want them to miss where the real power comes from. I want them to see a real God who is at work in their daily life. Today, I want to show you how you can have a real God at work in the daily life of a teenager. Now, some people think that all we do in youth group is goof around, and we do goof around. We are very serious about our goofing around. The average parent will raise between two and four teenagers. I've been in youth group, been a youth pastor here at Rockbrook for over 16 years. 
My wife and I have between 20 and 30 teenagers in our house every week, and they're all hungry. (laughs) We have cared for hundreds of teenagers, and it's hard. Grief, depression, suicide, addictions, divorce, abuse, crisis pregnancy, academic problems, family conflict, stress, anxiety, destructive behavior. Do you see why it's important to have fun? This is why it's important to have a place for teenagers to have fun where it's safe. Those of you who have cared for teenagers, I want to thank you. You stand up for people who are often forgotten and ignored. Some people don't like the troublemakers, the noisy, the messy, the impulsive, those who think differently. It's hard. At the end of youth group, a a teenager will come up to me, and anticipation runs through my mind. They're going to thank me for a great service, such a wonderful job, my hard work. Then reality crashes into my daydream when they say, oh, I forgot my money. Can I have a Coke for the, or a pop for the Coke machine? Or a dollar. They always want a dollar. It's 50 cents. They want a dollar. <laughs> and they buy it for their friend. Few teenagers say, thank you, that was great. If I want affirmation, I speak to a room of adults. Adults smile. They pay attention. They nod in agreement. Uh, you know, they make you feel like you're the wisest person on the planet. I am always blown away by the kindness of adults. Thank you, Andrew. That was great. Wonderful message. Very challenging. I sure appreciate all the hard work you do. I don't even know what that means. My encouragement to families is teenagers are hard, and youth group can help. I want to help. I'm passionate about it. It's a partnership. You know, we have child parent dedications. Parents and child come up on stage and they commit to raising a God, their godly children, raising their children into godly adults. And then the people respond and commit to helping the parents raise their children into godly adults. All summer in youth group, we have been studying the beginning of the Bible. Genesis is the first book in the Bible, and it talks about the family. That's where we have the origin of marriage. God created Adam and Eve as man and wife, and they had children. Teens love to hear about marriage. They're always asking questions about marriage. I think they're really asking about sex. In Malachi 2.15, it says, Didn't God make you one body and spirit with her? What was his purpose in this? It was that you should have children who are truly God's people. So make sure that none of you breaks his promise to his wife. Why did God make two people become one? It's because he wants godly offspring from the union. The family is to produce godly offspring who are to influence the world for Jesus Christ, who have godly offspring who are to influence the world for Jesus Christ, who have godly offspring who are to influence the world for Jesus Christ, generation after generation after generation. If you don't teach the next generation about the Lord, what happens? If you lose it from that generation, you're going to lose it from the other generations. Isaiah 38, 19. Parents, tell your children about your faithfulness. Ephesians 6, 4. As for parents, don't provoke your children to anger, but raise them with discipline and instruction about the Lord. Psalm 78 is interesting in this topic. goes through and just pull out some pieces. Our ancestors handed down to us. Tell the next generation. Teach them to the children. They, in turn, will teach their own children. 
If you read the rest of Psalm 78, he is reminding, some of the, he's reminding people some of the wonderful things that God had done for them. God did all these amazing things. And you realize the adults forgot to tell the next generation. What happens when parents don't teach their children? In youth group, we've been looking at all kinds of science questions. Where did we come from? Where did the, why is there death and suffering? Where did the races come from? What happened to the dinosaurs? It's sad, but evolutionists look at the aborigines in Australia as primitives. Primitives on the way up in an evolutionary sense. But certainly that is not true. Because their ancestor was Noah, just like our ancestor. He had shipbuilding technology. The aborigines are a culture who had lost information. They are not gaining in an evolutionary sense. They lost what they once had. The adults forgot to tell the next generation. How long does it take to produce a so-called primitive culture like that? Well, in studying this and looking, looking stuff up, in the 60s and 70s, there was the hippie generation. There were hippies who went into the the hills or forests, and they had children, and they didn't tell them about medicines. They didn't tell their children about the Bible or technology. You can produce a primitive culture in one generation. In the Bible, there is a sad passage about the Israelites after their leader Joshua died. In Joshua 4, we read the account where Joshua tells one of the leaders from each of the 12 tribes to each take a stone and build a memorial. Why would they do that? What just happened here? What happened is the Israelites had just crossed the Jordan River. And the priests went first. And when the priests stepped into the water, God miraculously stopped the Jordan River from flowing. And the Israelites crossed and the riverbed was dry ground. God had Joshua build this memorial. Verse 21. When your children ask you what these stones mean, you will tell them about the time when Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Verse 7. It said, these stones will always remind the people of Israel of what happened here. Don't forget to tell your children what God has done. That's what Psalm 78 is all about. In the Bible, in the book of Judges, chapter 2, it says, as long as Joshua lived, the people of Israel served the Lord. And even after his death, they continued to do so. As long as the leaders were alive who had seen for themselves all the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. The Lord's servant Joshua, son of Nun, died at the age of 110. That generation that served with Joshua saw the wonderful things that God had done. Joshua dies. That generation dies. And we read about their children. That whole generation also died. And the next generation forgot the Lord and what he had done for Israel. Then the people of Israel sinned against the Lord and began to serve the Baals. In one generation, they lost it. Isn't that sad? Psalm 78 is telling us, parents, don't forget to teach your children. Unfortunately, that is what is happening in our culture today. Parents are leaving the teaching up to the schools or TV or coaches, and we wonder why are we losing the next generation? How can we make sure that our next generation has an active faith. How do we keep from losing them? That's why I want to help you. I have a scary question. What does the Bible say about how to teach children? 
Okay, not your opinion, not a government-mandated program. Not, uh, but what does the Bible say about how to, t- how to train children? The nature of education, how to discipline children, what education is all about, how to transmit information from one generation to the next. Now, there are no perfect parents, okay? And teenagers sure aren't perfect. But the Bible gives us ways to help teenagers have an active faith. Proverbs 22, 6. Teach children how they should live, and they will remember it all their lives. Now, we could talk about this verse a lot, but I want to focus on the first part. Teach children. Or in another translation, it says, train up a child. Now, what's interesting is the original language parallels the same language that teaches young children how to eat. It's referring to the palate in the mouth. How, how did Hebrew mothers train their children to be weaned? And start eating solid food. They would mash up the food, put it in the child's mouth, and touch the palate, which gave them no option but to swallow. We do that when we are training our children to eat new foods. You give them no option. That's how I learned to eat vegetable soup. I was given no option. Uh, This is the concept of this verse, giving them no option, making them acquire a taste for things. Now, I have an example from my childhood of an acquired taste. Uh, When I was growing up, I had a milk allergy. I couldn't put milk on my cereal. I grew up putting apple juice on my cereal. I had grape nuts with apple juice. Now, I tell the story of eating grape nuts and apple juice, and people make the same face many of you are making. And, uh, but this was a treat for me. I, mean, uh, you know, I, I liked it. You know, I mentioned eating grape nuts, and some people go, yuck. And I say, I put apple juice on them. They're like, whoa. Uh, but when I was growing up, I was given no option for milk. I had to acquire a taste for apple juice. Now, if you grab a bowl of grape nuts and pour apple juice on them, most of you will not be able to stand it because you don't have a taste for it. I hear the same stories from people who go out of the country. Would you like some breakfast? Here's some rice. Oh, it sure is hot out. Would you like a refreshing snack? Here's some rice. Their culture has a taste for rice that ours doesn't have. Do you get the concept here? Train a child. Get them to acquire a taste for things when they're young, and their taste will be with them. Do you see the spiritual application here? If we teach our teens to acquire a taste for things of the Lord right from when they're young, that taste can be with them for the rest of their lives. When you try to get them to acquire a taste for things of the Lord when they're older, it's much harder. I want to look at a verse in Matthew. As a parent of young children... This has been very helpful for me. I have five children. My oldest will soon be 10. And one of the main arguments I get from parents as to why their teens are not actively involved in youth group is they say, well, we are to be salt of the earth and we're too busy with other activities uh, to be in, in youth group or in youth small group. But we're in activities as salt of the earth. And I think with all the activities that you could be involved in, Why wouldn't you want youth group to be one of the main ones? The rest of the verse says, but if salt loses its saltiness, there is no way to make it salty again. It has become worthless, so it's thrown out and people trample on it. How does salt lose its flavor? Uh, Contamination. The, The Israelites had rock salt. They would chip away at the rock salt, and if there is too much contamination in it, it's not good for anything. You just throw it out. Here's something else that's interesting. Mark 9.50. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how will you restore it? 
have salt within yourself and be at peace and live at harmony with one another. How do we restore lost saltiness? You have salt within yourself. That's confusing. We are to be salt of the earth. The salt is not to be contaminated. You can't be the salt of the earth until you have salt in yourself. Think about that. When my daughter was first born, I walked into her room. She was in her little crib, and I went over, and she looked up at me, and she said, what are your views on eschatology? (laughs) I'm kidding. Uh, I had to look up a big word so I could tell that joke. Uh, When my daughter was born, she didn't know about Jesus dying on the cross. She didn't know about the Bible. She didn't know about Adam and Eve. She didn't know about sin. She didn't know about that stuff. Our job as parents were to train her in those things and begin to pour salt into her. It's true that the Bible says there is a knowledge of right and wrong in their heart. They have a conscience. They have knowledge of God. Romans tells us that. They know there is a God. But our job as parents is to put that salt in. So my wife and I begin to pour this salt in. And there are some problems. Psalm 51, verse 5 says, See, I was born in sin, and I was in sin from my very beginning. We have five children. By the time our fifth child came along, when he was born, I said, there's a cute little sinner. (laughs) What I have found as a parent is when we pour salt in, it seems to come out the bottom as fast as we pour it in. Here's what we need to understand. Adults are great sinners too. It seems that, you know, we have our own sin nature working against us. That means we have to work extra hard to get that salt in. When you guys are involved in a service, when you guys are involved in a small group, When adults here at church are involved in serving in a ministry, you guys are pouring salt into the lives of the teenagers here at Rockbrook. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Do not let anyone fool you. Bad people can make those who want to live good become bad. You've seen this in little kids. Are your kids bringing home new Bible verses that they learned on the playground? Or when they come home, are you thinking, how did he learn to swear correctly? This is a principle that we see that works through Scripture. Bad will influence the good more than good will influence the bad. It's easier to drag someone down than it is to drag someone up. Parents, this is hard work. We have to remember that. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I understood like a child. Now I am a man. I do not act like a child anymore. Ephesians 4, 14. Then we will not be as children any longer. Children are like boats thrown up and down on big waves. They are blown with the wind. False teaching is like the wind. False teachers try everything possible to make people believe a lie. For 16 years, I have poured my life into teenagers. And after preaching my heart out, some teenager will come up and say, Why do you wear socks like that? I don't even know what that means. Saturday night, I'm at home pondering my socks, <laughs> thinking, am I making a difference? Are, are, they, are they getting this? Are they listening to me? We are pouring salt in. Youth group is taking God's word, and it is pouring it into the life of a teenager. Even though we may not see fruit, 
We keep teaching God's Word. Believe me, I have been in youth ministry long enough to see that students have come back and there is fruit in their life. They come back, and sometimes as soon as their college years, they say things like, Andrew, I'm leading a small group on my campus. And I'm like, I, I, I want to say, really? You? For six years, you were a challenge. How is that possible? God's word will not return void. Hold on to that. God's word will not return void. To my Rockbrook Youth Group volunteers, thank you for believing that God's word will make a difference in the life of a teenager. Thank you for continuing to teach even when you don't see the fruit or receive affirmation. Sometimes we need to recognize that children are not miniature adults. Children are children. Teenagers aren't adults. They need to be understood as teenagers. The Bible makes it clear. Think of the teens that are... uh, Teens are going to be thrown up and down by every wave of doctrine. Think of them out there. No absolutes, absolutes, evolution, creation, marriage, sex before marriage, abortion, pornography, homosexuality. How does a teenager know which way to go? They're thrown up and down. Unless they have a solid foundation and they understand why they believe what they do. In youth group, we have been talking about creation and evolution. This is one of the pictures our teens have been studying. We should not impose Christianity Christianity on them from the top down. We build from the foundation up. Our teens... I want our teens to know why they believe what they believe, why there is a right and wrong, why they believe that marriage is one man and one woman for a lifetime. I want them to have a Christian worldview, not because we have imposed it on them, but because we have built from the foundation up. They have reasons for why they believe what they believe. And I want them to understand how non-Christians think. They have a different foundation. Man decides truth and why they believe what they believe. So our teens, when our teens get a worldview that doesn't line up with what they believe, our teens know there are different starting points. There are different foundations. We need to fill up the next generation with salt. So they will be adults with salt that is as uncontaminated as possible. We are not perfect There's always contamination. But we need, to the best of our ability, be filling them up so they will be dishing it out to others and building others up. When a teen comes home from school and you ask him, what would you learn today? He says, nothing. Do you believe him? Some of you are like, yeah, I believe him. Okay. (laughs) But you string a series of nothing days together, pretty soon they give him a high school diploma. He goes on to college, and all those nothing days end up in a college degree, and he becomes a doctor. Over the long haul, they learn. That's why it's important to show up to youth group, to be actively involved. When your teens come home from youth group and and you ask them what they learned, they say, nothing. On your handout, I have given you what nothing looks like. This is the salt we are pouring into the teenagers. Over six years of nothing, you will see them learn how to give a defense for their faith. They will bring others to Christ. They will encourage others. They will mentor younger students. We have four values in youth group. 
fun, friendship, faith, foundation. Fun is important, you know, and fun doesn't mean that we're not serious. When a teen says they had fun, that means they had a positive experience. It can be something that they, they cry at that, that is very serious. And they're like, oh, that was fun. That's just the way they describe it. That's the way they describe a positive experience. Friendships are important. Playing sports, drama class, any club, those are great ways to have fun, to get friendships. Youth group is a great place to have fun and get friendships. But what we can add is faith and foundation. Youth group is a big deal. Where else are you going to get these four things as strong as what they are here? This is how you get a teenager who thinks about their life purpose, thinks about their life mission in the world. It's an act of faith, and too many teens stop coming. They don't make it through. Sadly, in too many Christian homes, our teenagers are missing out on God's best. Teenagers are turning into adults with contaminated salt. That's what's happening in our once Christian nation of America. We are seeing the collapse of Christian values. And we have many people in government who claim to be Christians, claim to believe the Bible. And you think, how can you make decisions that you do? It's because the salt's been contaminated. Jeremiah 10, verse 2. The Lord says, do not learn the way of the nations, and do not be afraid of the things seen in the heavens, even if the nations are afraid of them. One of the biggest problems with the Israelites, the reason why they were told, don't marry people from other nations, is because the other nations worshipped idols. And we learn from the first week in this active faith series that you've all been going through. In the first week, we learned that Rahab could marry an Israelite because she trusted the one true God. God is saying that these pagan people will destroy marriage. They will destroy what the family is all about. You are to influence the world around you like Rahab had influence. Not let them influence you. But over and over again, the Israelites let the world influence them. I love that we have a youth group. I love that we have Christian families where people in our community say, there is something different about those Rockbrook families. Those teenagers at Rockbrook, they are good workers. They can stand and give a defense for their faith. Now, I have a question for you. It's a picture. It's a picture. Which one of these will last forever? It is a picture of a car, a boat, a house, a TV, a pile of money, pets around a child. Do you know which one of these will last forever? The child. The child is the only thing that will last forever. Every one of our children conceived is a person who is going to live forever and ever in heaven or in hell. With the same picture, I can ask you this. Which one of these can you take to heaven? We get so distracted with this material world, but are you taking your children to heaven? Are they spending time training to be godly? Think about this. If you have a son or a daughter, who they choose to marry and how they train their children, and who they choose to marry and how they train their children, and who they choose to marry and how they train their children could affect thousands to come. Remember the Aborigines? Somewhere in their ancestry, they knew the one true God. Sadly, our culture is becoming more primitive. More primitive as people walk away from the church, more primitive as teenagers walk away from youth group. Here's a little church history. 
Martin Luther. Martin Luther worked in the church several hundred years ago. This is not a new issue. He said, I would advise no one to send his child where the Holy Scriptures are not supreme. Every institution that does not unceasingly pursue the study of God's word becomes corrupt. Because of this, we can see what kind of people they become in the universities and what they are like now. How are we going to make sure that the next generation doesn't become corrupt? How do we get our teenagers to have an act of faith? It's by understanding they are created by God, understanding they are created for a purpose. This is why it is so helpful for a teenager to be actively involved in youth group, to be actively involved in a small group, to be actively involved in serving in the church. It helps the next generation understand the foundation of God's word. Being involved helps people, helps families raise their children to understand a Christian way of thinking. Helps them understand they are created by God, created for a purpose. Youth group can help make sure they have the Christian morality that they need so they can dish out salt in this world. I am celebrating our teenagers who have an active faith.